me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Episode 16, just like the NHL season, we are rolling right along. And uh, DB, we're going streaking, baby. Six is sexy, John. Six game winning streak. Unreal. <laughs> well, if six is sexy, I can't wait to find out what seven is. Uh, we're coming to you live from the Steve Carlson studio. And DB, I'm sure that this is a name that you recognize. One of the Hanson brothers? He is one of the Hanson brothers. And of course, he's, he's definitely... Uh, more famous for being a Hanson brother, but and, and today it's timely because uh, it is the anniversary of the release of Slapshot movie, of course. Um, but there's also a tie-in because the Kings right now are in Minnesota getting ready to open up a, a two-game set, and he has ties, Steve Carlson, that is, has ties to both the LA Kings organization and Minnesota. And what a lot of people don't know is that he actually was a real hockey player. And so, you know, Dennis, what a lot of people probably don't know uh, is the fact that Steve Carlson actually was a legit hockey player. And on December 6th, 1978, the Kings traded away a career minor leaguer in Steve Short. They traded him to Detroit in order to acquire the rights to Steve Carlson. And uh, Carlson then went on to play 52 games with the LA Kings. But really, his whole career is sort of an interesting thing. If you ever go into Hockey DB and look at all the leagues that he played in, he played in the USHL, the NAHL, uh, the AHL, uh, the CHL. I mean, he played in so many different leagues. He only played for one NHL team, and that would be the LA Kings. He played 52 games with them in 79-80. And so you're saying, well, hold on. Well, they didn't they trade with the Red Wings? Yes, to get his rights, because actually at that time, he had been playing in the WHA for the Minnesota Fighting Saints. And so he had played in that league for, I think, about four or five years. 
He never actually had played for the Red Wings, although Detroit drafted him in the eighth round of the NHL draft, but it was the Minnesota Fighting Saints who had drafted him in the fifth round of, uh, of the WHA draft. And when he was in the WHA, right before coming to the LA Kings, do you happen to know where he played, DB? No, I don't, John. He played for the Edmonton Oilers. He was teammates with, and I think he was even roommates at one point, with a guy named Wayne Gretzky, who you might have heard of. That's great. How crazy is that, right? So Steve Carlson, so a little bit of uh, stuff there. And DB, real quickly, I want to add in this story because uh, the first time that I met Steve Carlson, I met him a a couple of different times, but the first time that I met him, I believe, was in 1996 in Long Island. Uh, I was was there (laughs) uh, for a Kings Islanders game. And I've already told the story about that trip. Uh, I, I believe, I think I did, DB, on this ep, uh, on this show once before. This was the trip where uh, the, the Russian cab driver pulled the pulled the yes. gun on us. Okay, what I probably didn't tell you because that story is is a great one by itself. What I didn't tell you was that also met the Hanson brothers on that trip. And uh, yeah, and so as I'm kind of getting ready to take a picture with them, they're all done up in their gear with their jerseys and everything, and I'm getting ready to take a picture with them. And we all kind of have our arms around each other or whatever. And the, the photographer's like, you know, one, two, three, you know. And as he says three, Steve Carlson, who had his arm around me, just very quickly reaches down and, or, you know, um, he puts me in a headlock, but I'm not expecting it. So the picture is this great picture of him, you know, get right, he, like, he, he, he knew what he was doing. He did it on purpose, right, as the guy was uh, snapping the photo. So there's this great picture of me, uh, you know, rather surprised as, as I'm now in a headlock with the Hanson brothers. So it was fun times, fun times. Uh, speaking of fun times, though, DB, um, not, not related to, to Long Island. The Kings are winning. They, they've uh, they've won six straight, and they are they have points in seven straight, Dennis, uh, because things started with what that shootout against San Jose, uh, Gabe Velarde, and that that goal that that didn't go in. That Todd thought it should have went in. Yeah. Well, he did beat the goalie. I mean, Todd's right. Velarde did beat the goalie, oh, yeah. but the puck, move. <laughs> but the puck just didn't go in, which it needed to do. And if it did go in, then the Kings would be sitting on a seven-game. Uh, winning streak, but nonetheless, they they did beat San Jose in the rematch of that two game set, and that started things off. They picked up a win against Minnesota, two more in Arizona, two more in St. Louis. They're really rolling right now, Dennis. You know, John, you can say legitimately this is the excited the fan base has been in three years. Seriously, because the the streak last year, the seven game winning streak, they were done, they were out of it. Mm-hmm. So you go back to the year they lost in the first round to Vegas. Mm-hmm. I think there's been this much excitement around the team. It, it, I would have to agree with you, and I think it's also been um, refreshing because the first uh, week or two of the season, things were not looking good, and and uh, the fans were, you know, hockey Twitter was out of control. So it's nice to see that things have sort of come back around. And, you know, it's so interesting because in, in many ways, a lot of the things that McClellan was saying early on have sort of proven out to be true. Things like, hey guys, the beginning of the season is not going to be like a regular start to an NHL season. You need to give them three or four games, and those are really the preseason games. And he was talking about that before. Not like it was an excuse after the fact. He was talking about it before the season began. And he's right that the King season kind of began around game five. You know, it's funny you bring up the Todd Father, because last night I was going through Twitter and doing a search for the fire Todd McClellan tweet. <laughs> I was going to start tweeting them after the game. And figured, ah, let me let me lay off there. But yeah, and not only that, John, you talk about the slow start, but then at the back end of this, like the reason that Brownie and these guys are doing so well is because they were rested um, 
for nine months. And now it's coming to fruition. Obviously, with Brownie, he's not playing on the power play, so his time on the ice is a little bit less. On the PK. I think that, Yeah, on the PK. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, everything is clicking. And, you know, when you have depth and you can roll four lines. Look, you, you and I have said we disagree on a good amount of things. We have never disagreed on this coach. Nope. And it's now it's coming to fruition. You could see how good this and how smart this coach is right now. I think what's also interesting, Dennis, is, uh, you know, I remember the comment from from Todd a couple of weeks ago, or I, it seems like it's a couple of weeks and probably it's only been a week. But, you know, hey, we don't have uh, a number one goaltender. We have two number one goaltenders. And it's interesting because I was putting together a Cal Peterson article this morning for uh, Mayor's Manor with some of his quotes and things and was looking through some of the numbers. And you know what? Over the six game winning streak, it's been three games for Cal and three games yep. for uh, for Quickie, which just I wasn't thinking that's where it was because in my mind Cal had been playing more outside of when Quick did get those two games in a row there. But no, three wins a piece during the six game winning streak, and um, we had done a podcast when they just went out on the road, Dennis, and you and I agreed that we thought Quick would probably only play two games on the trip, but he's going to end up playing three because you have to imagine that the plan going into Minnesota would be to split the two games. And I've also said that yeah, I agree with you on that, and I've also said that. This road trip was going to define the season. Mm-hmm. And if, <laughs> the way it's going, it's certainly going to define the season, John. It's just been – it's been great. Look, they've been outplayed, some, but they, they've stuck to a couple of games. And I, I tweeted this, John. You know, resiliency isn't always coming from behind. It's rolling with the punches. It's when it's nothing-nothing and St. Louis comes out hard first five minutes and you don't give up a goal. Mm-hmm. It's nothing-nothing going into the second. That's resiliency too. So this team showed a lot of character. And Todd said it, you know – it's in a different team with Roy and Walker on the blue line. It's an entirely different team. They can control the play more, and it's been a really nice run. The fans have a right to be excited. They certainly do. And, Dennis, I, I have a number of sort of breaking news items that I want to share with you um, right, throughout the it. podcast today. I purposefully have not been tweeting these things out over the last 48 hours as, as I have been talking to different sources inside the organization and gathering up little nuggets. And so here's the first one that I want to serve up to you you're so tired of me talking about the plan, but the plan coming into the season was to rotate Bjornfoot and Clegg on the second pairing uh, since they only had spots for 7D and six of them were already taken. We've talked about this a lot on Kings of the Podcast. I have some news for you, and that is that uh, barring some sort of a major change, the plan right now is to roll with Tobias Bjornfoot for the remainder of the season on that second pairing. A number of things are relevant here. Um, Number one, it's going to burn a year of his entry-level contract, which is fine. That was sort of the expectation. But there is another hidden element to burning a year off of an entry-level contract. And this is going to get – I'm going to try to keep it short because some of the people that aren't into this side of the the business side of hockey may not be interested. But – it, it, when you burn an ELC, it has to do with playing a minimum number of games, which normally is 10. This year, it's been pulled back to seven. Uh, and when you play that, it burns a year off the, the three-year entry-level contract. But there's another thing, which is also years of service. And the, the Ducks are going through this with Max Comtois, who they, they ended up playing him 11 games and then sending them to the American League last year. And so he didn't, uh, I don't believe he ended up meeting the number of games necessary to get that year of service, which the year of service is important because it ultimately determines when you become a UFA versus being an RFA. So typically what happens is after your entry-level contract is over, you are, you're an RFA for a number of years before you eventually become a UFA. It's not like the end of your three-year contract, you automatically are an unrestricted free agent. And so you'll see some teams, normally it's around 40 games. This year it's been 
uh, pulled back to about 26, I believe, 26, 27 games because of the shortened season. Um, the Kings, what I'm getting at is the Kings are not worried about that. They're not going to try to do any sort of yeah. uh, roster maneuvering, which is interesting in and of itself because every day they're, they're, they're moving guys around from taxi and different things. But they are very impressed with Tobias Bjornfoot. They love what Toby's brought. They really like the pairing of Toby with Matt Roy. Uh, albeit, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that pairing's not giving them a lot of offense at this particular point in time, but you just look at the fact that Toby has come in and it's probably not a coincidence that he's in the lineup, McDermott's out of the lineup on defense, and this is right in the middle of this six-game winning streak when it all started. Yeah, you're right, John. Not, neither one of them are play-driving defensemen, but they're steady. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you're never going to have to worry about... And, and Toby can skate, can skate. He's a really good skater. Uh, but you don't have to worry about defensively that pair. And I guess from what you're telling me, John, after 18 games, they're sold on Toby. Mm-hmm. He's, he's top four guy right now. Well, you know what's crazy about that, Dennis, is that it's kind of one of those things like when you know, you know. And uh, if you remember, we had Trent Yanni on the program recently, and he was talking about that during the six-game audition. I mean, we're talking about six NHL games, Dennis. Six-game right. audition last year. Yanni was already going to, to McClellan, or they were having a conversation, I should say. Yanni and, and McClellan were having a conversation. They were like, you know what? This guy just gets it. You're talking about six NHL games, which uh, it, it just it's amazing that when you know, you know. And I think it's kind of the same thing with Bjornfoot. They loved what he brought to the team in camp last year. Tried him out, as everybody knows, with Doughty made the wise decision to send him down and let him get a year of experience in the American League, especially because he was scheduled to go play in the World Juniors as well. And so he would be, would have been away from the team for a couple of weeks anyway. But uh, yeah, you're talking about two players in Anderson and Bjornfoot that don't have a lot of NHL experience and they have already secured not only NHL rostered spots, but really significant roles on this team. And don't forget, Bjornfoot is 19 years old, Dennis. I, I go back to last training camp when we actually could be in the room and talk to players. <laughs> I, I remember Kopi telling me, like, this kid needs to be up here with us. Even mm-hmm. in, in camp, he wasn't. And Kopi's a tough grader. Mm-hmm. Uh, but For he, sure. He really impressed, but it's, it's, it's not surprising that at this point in time, because, John, let's remember, he's a first-round pick. So it, it's, it's, it's a pleasant surprise, but not totally unexpected that a kid can assume after a year of seasoning, he's up here playing with the big team. Yeah, and you know what? Full credit to Bjornfoot as well. He did everything that the organization asked of him because what's crazy to really go back in time and think about is when he first came to training camp, Dennis, last year, uh, last season, before the, what is that, the 2019-20 season, so in the summer of 2019, they weren't even convinced that he was going to play a full year in North America. The idea was, hey, let's get him over here uh, and bring him to bring him to camp, sort of get him exposed to things, and he'll probably be going back to Europe. That's what we were told. And then he just came over and, and just wowed everybody to the point that then they wanted to figure out how to keep him over here. And as a first-round pick, they could. He had the, the, the option to be able to do that. Uh, being drafted out of Europe, regardless of his contract status. And so they they kept him over here. And, you know, he did everything that was asked of him. He went down to the American League after getting, you know, a couple games, cup of coffee with the Kings that year, playing on the top line, no less, uh, but or top pairing, excuse me. But uh, he didn't sulk. He went down to the American League. He, he put in his year of, you know, apprenticeship. Uh, he learned under Mike Stuthers and, and, and Chris Height and that coaching staff there, as well as guys like Sean O'Donnell and everybody in the development side. And then he went over to the World Juniors. Uh, he played with Sweden. This is not this past World Juniors, but the one before. And then put the work in during 2020, which was a unique year for everybody. Went back to the World Juniors again 
and was the top player for Team Sweden. And as uh, McClellan has has shared with us, it just took him a little bit of time, a couple of weeks to get reacclimated to North America and sort of the men uh, that play in the American League in the NHL. And and he had a little uh, taste down in the American League to get him to get him back in shape and get him going again. And then boom, here he is, and he's he's running with it at the NHL level, Dennis. Yeah, no, it's it's a great success story, and, and to be that convinced by the organization that you're good to go for a top four and you're going to get 18, 19 minutes at night. That's really impressive. Now where this ultimately shakes out is going to be a little bit interesting, Dennis, because really Anderson nor Bjornfoot uh, should be in the roles that they're in right now. So they're performing, they're doing a fine job, an admirable job at that. But at some point when the Kings decide that they're going to start becoming legit contenders and the Kings are not there yet. I don't even believe they're going to be there at the trade deadline this year, Dennis. It's probably something for the summer or even for next year. They're going to have to go out and get a defenseman. And from, from what I'm understanding, what they're going to be in the market for is they're looking for an offensive minded defenseman that can help them over on that left side. So it's, it's a very specific type of player that they're looking for left side, offensive minded, uh, meets their age range, which is going to be somewhere between 24 and 28 years old. The younger, the better. I mean, this is <laughs> this is a very specific ask. It's not an easy thing to go out and find that player right. in the NHL. It's not Chris Letang. Okay, let's go. Uh, no, it is not Chris Letang. But if there was a trade to be had between Pittsburgh and L.A., uh, it might be maybe in goal. Really? Yeah, that would be interesting. Well, yeah. Pittsburgh, well, Pittsburgh. The GM knows this GM for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this G, the GM in Pittsburgh knows quite a, quite a bit about the LA Kings organization, so it would not be a surprise to see those two hook up for a trade. So, so John, yeah, handicap that for me. Percentage that Textall and Blake make a trade in the next twelve months. Oh, uh, two to one. I mean, that's. Even money? I don't. That's I. 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 I would be shocked if they didn't. I'd be absolutely seventy percent. Eighty-eight percent. How about that? There you go. I like that. Yeah, I would be. I would be shocked, utterly shocked, if they did not pull off a trade sometime in the next twelve months. I mean, it might not be of the Jonathan Quick level, which would be you know a, a real blockbuster. Uh, but it definitely, I think there will be a trade because the Kings have an abundance of assets and we know what Hextall is there in, in Pittsburgh to do, which is to rebuild that franchise and, you know, restock the cupboards that they've kind of run dry over the last couple of years, continually trying to go for, for a playoff push and or a Stanley Cup. So I know you have that specific on the defense. Let me ask you this question. Sure. Like, do they need to go acquire a LW1? Not right now. Um, I think this is the plan here, sort of. Well, I, you know what? I was saving this for the second period, so let's get into it right now. Uh, we'll talk about Alex Iafalo real quick. Um, just so that everybody's clear, uh, they do plan on re-signing Alex Iafalo. There have been, from what I understand, sort of limited contract talks up until this point. They haven't really honed in on yet uh, the money or the years, so there's nothing eminent. And as best I can tell, this is something that may, in fact, drag on to closer to sort of the free agent uh, window, meaning that this could potentially uh, be something that gets done after the season is over. And there's no, there's nothing wrong so nobody needs to freak out um they have no plans on trading i follow at the trade deadline there are, there are no worries the player wants to be here the team wants him here they're going to work it out 
Uh, and what I was also told, and we're going we're gonna to talk more about the expansion draft later in the program, Dennis, but what I was also told is that there, there really is not an interest in trying to do any sort of funny business and like not sign him, yeah, but yeah. therefore not protect him because he's unrestricted and, and try to circumvent the whole expansion process. That's not, they're not interested in that. So they plan on getting Ayafalo signed. He is a very important piece because of his age and his contribution to what he's able to, and his versatility and what he's able to bring to the team. Everybody uh, acknowledges, whether you're talking to the coach, the general manager, scouts, players, his teammates, everybody acknowledges. He is not the long-term, you know, left-wing one. Uh, that's not, he's not going to slot in with Kopitar and Brown or whoever is playing on the top line in the years ahead. It's his job for right now until somebody comes along and takes that job the expectation is that somebody probably is not going to come along this year and take that job. Maybe they will, uh, right. but nobody right. has up until now. But the expectation is that by by the end of next season, somebody will have taken that job and they will have pushed him a little bit further down the lineup. And that's okay. That There's nothing wrong with that. Hey, I agree with you that they're not making any moves at the trade deadline. Like I mean, a big, like a legitimate big. Yeah, I just wanted to say that. Yeah, because, you know, you're going to you're always going to have that crazy fan on Twitter who's going to tell you, you know, back in February, you said they weren't going to make a trade. No, I think there will be some smaller deals again, just because of the number of assets um, that they have. But I don't th- I think that they're the type of deals that won't even register on, on an average fan's radar. Right. So, yes, Alex, I follow. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Dennis. Yeah, they're not making any big deals. No, 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 no. And not only that, John, with respect to the depth chart. It wouldn't be the if someone does emerge, I follow LW two and Kepe LW three. I think that's what they want in the, in the long term. I think that would be a lineup that would be more formidable. Well, you can also flip those guys too. Depending, I mean, Kempe is going to have to uh, start producing at, at a greater clip offensively uh, in order to to keep the LW two spot, right? So, I mean, but the idea is that between those two guys, yes, you're absolutely right. Th- those two guys can play on your left wing, uh, on your second and third line, maybe even on your fourth line if you had right. as other guys come in because the Kings are too deep at center. It sounds weird to say, but they're very deep at center, and they're going to have some guys that are going to move over to the wings, whether it be the right side or the left side so sure. yeah as soon as somebody comes along and takes his job that's fine uh but they they love alex Ayafalo. his teammates love him uh, like i said very versatile player and he's has a part of the plan oh he's part of the plan for sure he's part of the, i mean when you when you get okay. when you get outside of the core five uh, in brown kopitar carter mm-hmm. uh quick and dowdy uh, you know the the dowdy, next tier of player that you're talking about right now isn't Alex Iafalo. So, and I, I just don't understand the fans that want to, that want to bang on the guy. Uh, you know, all he does is produce. I, just, I it's, it's fascinating to me. It's like they're playing fantasy hockey and they're upset. Like the captain of the team on Kopitar is like, it's not like a secret. He wants to play with the guy and the coach, when he puts that team, that line together, it works. So what's the problem, everybody? Uh, who do you want to put up there? Who has earned the right to play on that line? Because I, I don't have a name. Do you have a no, name, Dennis? No. no, I don't, John. And he does the dirty work, yeah. right? And he's and they're going to forge if that line's going to forecheck at all. Well, it's not going to be Kopitar Brown. It's going to be Alex, Alex I follow. So he he's filling the role perfectly at this point in time. Yeah, he's not a big goal scorer, but he's getting points on assists. And the, the chemistry's working. Like, why would you at this point say like, no, the guy shouldn't be up there right now in the moment? You think any of the 11 goals has nothing to do with Alex, Alex Ifall that Brownie scored? Of course it does. Mm-hmm. But, like, the chemistry is really working. Leave that line alone and just, you know, fiddle through the, the other three lines. 
All right, one more quick footnote before we move on to the second period, Dennis. Uh, Jarrett Anderson Dolan. Just want to make sure that everybody knows. They love this player, and uh, they already loved him before the season started. And if you just look at the small sample size of when he was in the lineup, they were they were drooling. At, uh, they, he was better than they expected. They believed that he was going to be good. They liked what he did last year. They were ready for him to step in and take an NHL roster spot. That's why we had him penciled in on the roster coming into the season. He not only came into the lineup and performed, I'm going to say he overperformed relative to expectations at this point in his career. And this is also one of the reasons why Michael Amadio is not long for this roster, DB. I, I already wrote an article article on it and it, it we're just we're, we're days away uh from him potentially being on waivers uh he you know fine soldier he played his 150 plus nhl games and gave it his best shot um but you know it, it, this is a this is a league where you have to perform and the younger players that are coming in behind him are pushing him out of the lineup you know it's funny i, I do this now i'm doing these columns every six games the good and the not so good so the not so good and i title it sad about john because John, those three home games he played in, mm-hmm. they, he showed his entire toolbox, mm-hmm. the skill, the speed, and the smarts, the three S's. He was fantastic, and it was just a shame that he got hurt in Arizona because he was re- – I mean, I, you and I agree he's going to be part of, of the team going forward, but he was just about to solidify his spot on the, on the forward wall. Not that he won't when he comes back. But I think those three games, you saw a true glimpse of what this player can offer the team. Yeah, I think the way that McClellan has been working the the roster is one of the more interesting aspects uh, of this six-game winning streak. Many, many coaches, DB, have uh, sort of two unwritten rules. (laughs) One of them is that if you're winning, you don't make a change in the lineup. And two is that if you're out injured, that you didn't lose your spot in the lineup. And McClellan has basically debunked uh, both of those and said that he doesn't subscribe to either of those theories. Um, He's willing to make changes and has been willing to make changes. And, you know, some of that has been because guys that were injured returned, like Matt Roy and and Sean Walker, but others have been just that he's needed to, he's he's opted to, I would say, to tinker with the lineup and different things. And guys that have come back into the lineup, namely like a Blake Lazat, they didn't go back to where they once were. So they did lose their spot in the lineup. Uh, even if they, you know, were, went back in and played games, they didn't go back to where they were before. Because it's a meritocracy, and somebody play merits them being in. Just because a guy comes back, and it's not Kopitar or Brown or Dowdy or Carter, you're not going to have your spots. So I have no problem with that. And also, it helps that Todd's got a five-year contract that this he can This is the last spot. minute of play in the period. <laughs> all right, DB, let's take a quick break. We'll be back on the other side. We will talk all things expansion draft, and there's a lot to cover. There's a lot of meat on the bones here, DB. We'll be back in just a minute.
All right, second period. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast. Dennis Bernstein, John Hovind, we're excited to have you guys with us. We have a lot to get to still uh, throughout this episode, including a deep dive into the expansion draft and the LA Kings protection list. But uh, during the break, DB, you nudged me a little bit. You said, hold on, we have a new game show that you want to roll out. So tell us, what's this about? Yeah, if I had the Price is Right music, I'd play it right now. So John's little game show called Would You Rather. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Am I going to want to play this game? Yeah, you, you're gonna you're gonna play. You're you're the contestant. Okay, okay. So let's assume this little fantasy that's going on on six game winning streak and the hopes that they make the postseason mm-hmm. like continues. Mm-hmm. If they do wind up making the postseason, John, would you rather play the Vegas Golden Knights or the Colorado Avalanche in the first round? Uh, you, the true answer is that it doesn't matter to me. Um, I've I've never been, you talk about Todd subscribing or not subscribing to certain theories. Um, I've never liked the idea of pick your opponent. It usually backfires on you. Um, I, I think that there, I could make the argument either way. I think that uh, the Kings on paper are not built to play with, um, with the speed that Colorado brings. Uh, however, I think that it would be a good test for them. And so considering that the Kings, even if they do qualify for the playoffs, I don't expect them to go on a magical run like they did in 2012. I don't see them as a legit Stanley Cup contender, and that's okay. Uh, that's not where they are on the development curve. Um, but on the flip side, in terms of playing a Vegas team, although I don't think that Vegas has necessarily played up to preseason expectations up until this point, um, they do have a lot of firepower on that team. They play a different game than Colorado. Uh, I, I, on paper, I think that Vegas would be a, um, a, a better matchup. I'm not saying easier. I'm saying a better matchup for, for the Kings. That's a long-winded answer, DB. And I think there's also a little retribution in there. Uh, you and I have long talked about that series. You, you just referenced it in the first period as well. That series, if you watch that series in 2018, um, it, it was not a sweep. I mean, I know, I know the f- scoreboard is the scoreboard, but I know it, what you're saying. It, that that was not the series that that people tried to paint it to be. There there were one goal games and overtimes, and Dowdy was out and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think you know, Drew Dowdy's highly motivated this year to uh, to shut up all the critics and the doubters. And uh, I I think that he would like another crack at at Vegas. So I guess since you're forcing me to answer, would I rather? I would. I guess I would rather than play Vegas. Is that the only question of the of the game show? That's the only question. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. Oh, <laughs> that's it. I was you sitting here on the edge of my seat, thinking you were gonna thinking you had more for me. Okay, well, that's we'll a come up with one every episode. Okay, yeah. that's a that's a good little um, that's a good little uh, question. You know, that's a good little game show type thing. So yeah, sure, I like that. Um, yeah. Let me let me flip it back on you though, Dennis, and ask you the exact same question. If you were the LA Kings, who would you rather play? I think they're more successful over the last couple of seasons against Colorado. Yeah. The outdoor game, they won one game against that. The last two game series against Vegas, that first game, that was scary. But again, they had guys out of the lineup one, you know, so, but for me, I, I think they have, they would have better success against Colorado. Mm-hmm. I think there would be more hatred between them and Vegas. And not only that, imagine playing a playoff series and you're looking across the ice and Alec Martinez is on the other team. Mm-hmm. So I, I think from an entertainment standpoint, Vegas, but I think if you wanted to go in and say, which team you have a better shot at winning, they match up better against Colorado. They play better against Colorado. And to be frank, I would much rather face Grubauer than Marc-Andre Fleury in the postseason. <laughs> well, 
is Flowers still going to be in Vegas? We'll have to find out after the trade deadline. Uh, but yeah, oh, boy. but I think you're, but I, I do, I do think, uh, yeah, obviously that, that, yeah, that's the one area that, uh, that Colorado needs to, to shore up. I, I've, I've said many times, I don't understand why they're, why they're trying to be legit contenders with what they have between the pipes. But, uh, you know, ask me again in a month, Dennis, and, and my answer might change. Um, but as we all know, the matchups for the playoffs, a lot of it has to do with timing as well and who's healthy and, um, all that sort of stuff. So we're, we're answering Absolutely. a question today that could have, have, you know, different optics in, you know, six or eight weeks from now, just based upon the way the teams are playing and, and also the development of, of the players. I mean, you know, where's Velarde going to be in six weeks from now? And, um, you know, where, where, where are some of the other kids is, is Grunstrom continuing, you know, at his current trajectory and is Jod back in the lineup? I mean, there's so many other things that, that could potentially make the LA Kings a much stronger team. But, uh, I guess that's what makes it interesting, Dennis. We're, we're not even 20 games into the season. Uh, and there's, you know, 56 total to play. So, so there you go. Let's talk about, uh, something that is beyond the playoffs, Dennis, and even beyond the, the entry draft, but coming up in the off season is going to be the second expansion draft that the NHL has had in the last five years. First was Vegas. And, um, just, I, I think it's important to set the table and understand what happened at the Vegas draft as well, uh, in terms of the Kings putting their list together. So I put a big article up on, mayorsmanor.com and um, it, it's, you know, it's done some, some great traffic and it's created some conversation between people. Dennis, essentially there are two ways, uh, the, the rules are the same for the Seattle expansion draft as they were for Vegas. There are two ways that you can um, protect your players. But before we put yes. that together, I, I, there's no way I'm going to read all the names on this, on this uh, program, Dennis, but I will tell you, I'm begging anybody, anybody that's listening, if you want to have a conversation about who the Kings should protect and or which players the Kings might lose, you need to read the article. It's very important that you read the article so that you understand the rules. If you don't understand the rules, you shouldn't even be weighing in on this conversation. And Dennis, it was almost embarrassing some of the comments that I saw on various social media channels in, in response to the article of people that don't even understand the rules. So Guys, it's all there in the article. Please read the article before you respond to the article. That's sort of like the the rules is of it engagement. More about who's exempt? Is it more about who's exempt? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and there's so, two. John, you look at the list of kings that are exempt. <laughs> it's longer than the list that are kings that are, who are eligible. I think you're right. And and DB. There, there's two elements to this. Number one would be the list of players that are exempt. And there's been some confusion because the NHL uh, put out an article on NHL.com. So people, be, you know, if it's on NHL.com, people believe it's the Bible, but it was a little bit misleading because what it said was first and second year NHL players aren't eligible for the draft. And that's, that was poor wording. What they really meant was first and second year pros are exempt from the draft. And so people kept saying, oh, well, Austin Strand, he's a first-year NHL player. He's exempt. No, he's not because he's a third-year pro. And so the wording of it, while it was intended to make it sort of easy for the casual fan to understand, it actually did the opposite where it made it more complicated for the hardcore fan to understand, I think. And so we put the full list there for you. And, and guys, we've vetted this list with all the people that know. Wink, wink, hint, hint, okay? Uh, we vetted this list with all the people that know. And this is telling you these are the players uh, that are exempt. So if you're wondering about a prospect, whether it's Byfield or Clegg or whoever your favorite prospect is, you look there on the list on mayorsmanor.com and it'll show you, oh, these are the players that are exempt from the entire process. So then you scoop those off to the side. Now, 
I'll explain the next step of putting your protection list together. So you have a group of players, and I'm just going to say 30 players to make it easy, Dennis. 30 players that are, imagine them all being in, in one pool. And within that pool, you have all three positions, obviously. So you have some forwards, you have some defensemen, and you have some goaltenders. There are some very specific rules about the 30 players that you leave unprotected. And basically, the key rule in there is that you have to, um, you have to expose a defenseman and a couple forwards that we're calling quote unquote experienced players. So you can't just take these guys that might be under contract that might be 28 years old, but are career minor leaguers and have, they haven't played the proper number of NHL games. And so the Kings were short on that. And it's very important that people understand this because there are two, um, just to sidetrack for a second, DB, there are two ways that you can put your protection list together. You can either take, seven uh, forwards and three defensemen, which would give you 10 players total, or you can take eight skaters regardless of position, okay? The, the Kings, in, in the article, we talk about them going down the route of taking eight skaters, and the reason for that is because they would want to protect four defensemen in that hypothetical example, which would be Doughty, Walker, uh, uh, Roy, and Kale Clegg. We'll talk more about this in a second, Dennis, but here's the thing. If they protected those players, if they opted to go that direction, up until the Olimata trade, they, they would not have had a defenseman in the organization that they could expose. Because remember, of all oh, the players right. you expose, they have to meet the experience requirement. They didn't have any experienced defensemen outside of those players. So while all of these other players in their pool of 30 were being exposed, they didn't meet the requirement for the experience level. So, yes, Austin Strand was going to be exposed. Yes, Curtis McDermott was going to be exposed. You know, insert any name you want, right? But they had to have an experienced player. That's part of the reason that the Olimata trade worked out. They picked up a player that they could expose in the expansion draft that met the requirement of an experienced player. He played the proper number of games and or his contract status. Gets one step deeper, Dennis. Curtis McDermott came into the season needing to play a certain number of games in order to meet that requirement. Because having Mata is great, but he's just, if that's your only option, you're, you're holding your breath until the end of the season because if something unfortunate was to happen to him as a player and he couldn't continue, long-term injured reserve type thing, and, and then they couldn't expose him, then they would have been forced to expose Walker or, or Roy, which, of course, they didn't want to do, or make a trade to get another player, which is complicated because right, team, sure. teams would have known that they were over a barrel. I'm not trying to, to be long-winded in this, Dennis, but it requires <laughs> context, the things we always some talk about. Some depth of thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some no, depth of thought. Because no, so, it, it, there's two levels, John. People don't think about the experienced part. Right. They just think, oh, you know. He's played X amount of games, and that's it, and it's real easy. So, no, it, it is, it's long-winded, but it's, it's necessary if you want to comprehend what's going to happen with Los Angeles. Right, because people try to just say, oh, well, they're just going to protect Dowdy, Roy, and Walker, and they try to walk away from it. Well, it's not that easy because the protection part is only one side of it. You also have to expose those experienced players. And where I was going with all this is that Curtis McDermott just played uh, the number of games he now he now is qualified as an experienced player. So now they have two chips from which to work with. Um, 
I, I did sort of tease uh, some of our sources with, with, you know, sort of tickled them with this idea and said, look, now that you have two chips, is, does that raise the potential that maybe one of them gets dealt uh, at the trade deadline to, you know, primarily to free up a roster spot because they're, they're jammed up on defense and don't have enough roster spots? Mm-hmm. And the, the answer was no, not really, because they really want to hold on to those two chips going into the expansion draft. Now, if something happens after the expansion draft based upon, you know, how, how it goes at the expansion draft, that's, that's a conversation for later on heading into next year and worrying about next year's roster, but they don't want to put all their eggs in one basket uh, per se uh, relative to the defenseman. So that is why Curtis McDermott, I keep saying this over and over, you, I don't expect to see him on waivers this year. They're going to find a way to carry him on the NHL roster. And, you know, really honestly, back to Mata for just a second, um, he has settled in nicely, Dennis, for all the heat that he took being on the top pairing he settled in nicely uh, on the third pairing. And then even when he was asked to play additional minutes, he played pretty well the other night when he had to go in for Mikey Anderson. Yeah. Look, if you're going to play him on the third pairing, he's a four, five, six player. Yes. That's where he should be playing. So that's fine. That's great. And if he wants to step up like he did the other night with Drew, fine. That's great. Uh, But to think that he's going to be the guy up top, he's not going to be the guy up top, but yeah, in that role, fine. That's, that's what you traded. Look, was it was it wrong to think that he was going to be paired with Drew off the bat? Yeah, based on what we've seen from him, sure. But again, he can be a useful part of it. And John, you know, that's called coaching, right? Mm-hmm. You figure out where that player fits in the lineup and what he can give you paired with certain players. That's why Todd's doing such a great job because he figured out a way to make this player after he sat to be a useful part of the defense. I also want to say this, and some people I'm sure will say that I'm just being an apologist to McClellan and I'm, and I'm not. I, I, I like to use rational thinking. So here's the thing. While I commend yes. McClellan for coming out a couple days ago and, and owning it and wearing it and saying, hey, you know what? That was my mistake. It was the organization's mistake. We did it wrong. We should not have come out and hyped uh, Mata as being, you know, this great guy that was going to be paired with Drew Doughty and they were going to set the world on fire as the number one pairing. Okay. London connects. Yeah, all that stuff, right? I mean, I, I even wrote the article, the whole bromance and Dowdy wouldn't stop talking about him. And, you know, it was, it was wonderful, right? It was a giant makeout session. But here's the thing. Yeah. What other option did they have? That's what I want to know. Mikey Anderson had six games of NHL experience, and I'm the biggest Mikey Anderson supporter right. that you'll ever meet. I've it talked the guy up from day one, right? Mikey Anderson had no business being penciled in on the first pairing coming into the season. He had six games of NHL experience. Oh. So... What other option did they have besides Mata? They had Bjornfoot, they had uh, a Clegg, they had Anderson, and they had McDermott. Unless you're going to move Royer Walker off of their natural right-hand side and put them on the left. Mata was the only choice. So maybe they could have cooled the Jets a little bit on the hype machine. Fine, I'll give you that. But uh, it's not like putting him up there was a bad idea to start with. I think I think you had to do it. And, and, and if it worked, great. But, you know, in the back of your mind, I hope you had a plan B because there was a good chance it wasn't going to work, which it didn't. And then it's not working much better. So, okay. So back to the expansion. Well, the, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to say, yeah, no, the big picture. Remember the big picture, John, like what was Drew chirping about having to break in another inexperienced player on as his pair, as his, as his mm-hmm. partner. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a guy who's experienced, who's won cups, so here's your guy, Drew. Now, right, it didn't work out. Look, if you're going to second-guess it, John, you're not going to second-guess it now. You would second-guess it, and I looked it up. A week after they got Mata, Colorado traded for Devin Tage two seconds, right? You want to second-guess there? That's fine. But in the moment, you're right, John. There was no other player to put up there. Like, I agree with you. These, 
they were they were just not skilled enough or not experienced enough. Mm -hmm. Maybe one day Mikey Anderson steps up there, but he's probably a three four. So you can't like maybe there's miscalculation on the uh, on the, the level of the player, but it was the only option. I couldn't agree with you more. You can't second guess him for putting that guy in that spot because there really wasn't any other options. Sure, and 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 fine. Uh, to everybody that wants to say I told you so, for everybody else that saw the writing on the wall and knew it, congratulations, you were right. Olimata did not belong on the top pair, but now what do you have to say about his performance on the third pair because he seems to be getting universal praise from his teammates and the coaching staff, um, and even from us here on the program. He's, he's a fine third-pair defenseman, and he's played very well. So now we can all move on, and we can get back to the expansion draft. Here, This is, this is really what I wanted to get to, DB. There are sort of two things. One, I'm giving you some breaking news. In the article uh, that I put up where I projected this, and I'm going to do this um, this power rankings of, of sort of, you know, how do, how do things look? Because it is an evolving conversation. It's not like Rob Blake and everybody got together before the season and they said, these are the guys that we're going to protect. And then they, you know, put, put it in the drawer and they're done and they're going to pull it out again in six months. No, it's an evolving conversation that's going to be taking place all the way leading up to the night that they, you know, submit the list, if you will. But I have some additional information here. In the article, I suggested that the Kings were more likely to go with the eight skater route and the reason that I said that was that if they didn't go the eight skater route and they went the the 10 player route, which is three defensemen and seven forwards, what that forces them to do is expose Kale Clegg because the three defensemen that you would be protecting, it's a no brainer. It's Dowdy, Roy and Walker. And then that leaves Clegg exposed. So I asked the question, well, why would you want to risk exposing Kale Clegg for the opportunity to protect more forwards? Because the basically the majority of forwards that are available, they're bottom six forwards. They're, they're you know, outside of Alex Iafalo, who we already talked about, and maybe Kempe, right? It's Kopitar, uh, Kempe, and, uh, and Iafalo, and, and, and then who? And so I said it was four and four, but in talking to my sources within the organization, right now they're leaning more towards seven and three, which means Kale Clegg is most likely exposed in the expansion draft, Dennis. Well, if there's seven then I assume based on that, that number, the guy who has 11 goals this year would be protected? Well, this is where things get interesting. Two sort of right. thing, two, two pieces to this, Dennis. You go, hmm, well, who would those be? Okay, so on the forward side, I gave you the three. Who's the fourth one? At the time of the writing of the article, the big debate was Leas Anderson versus Carl Grundstrom. You know, Leas Anderson... Right. He has top six potential. So I know that some people don't think that they've seen it yet, but the idea is that if you can groom him into that role, you know, by the end of the year, then that might be something worth keeping. I, look, I, I've been a, a big fan, uh, I guess it's the wrong word, supporter of Carl Grunstrom from the day that he was traded. Loved his game in Ontario. He, um, he's Dustin Brown light. What do you not like about him? The guy can score goals. He'll go into the dirty area. He has a physical uh, component to his game. He'll play the left side. He'll play the right side. He's just been fantastic. And we've already seen him move up from the fourth, uh, fourth line to the third line. But is that enough to warrant being you know, protected? And if so, okay, well, fine. Now you're up to five players. Well, who else are you talking about then, right? At forward. And so... Dustin Brown. I mean, is there is there a possibility that I can't I just I can't conceive that they would do it, Dennis. And I love Dustin Brown, but I just can't conceive that at his age that they would think about using a roster spot. But it could be one of those situations where they just they 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 have a free <laughs> a free protection slot and he potentially could could be there. So there's there's the forward arguments. And then how about this one, Dennis? 
This one sort of blew me away. The love for Austin Strand is probably greater than we all think it is. What does that mean? Does that mean that they would, that they would potentially trade Sean Walker to protect Austin Strand? Because if you're only protecting three defensemen, and you have to figure, well, Drew Doughty has to be protected because of his no-movement clause. So there's one, fine. And if you figure Matt Roy is the second one, and they're only going with three defensemen, they're not exposing Sean Walker, are they? Maybe because of his contract? I don't know. I mean, two and a half million for three more years? Like, would they, I mean, that seems like a pretty favorable contract to me. Would you protect Austin Strand at the risk of leaving Sean Walker out there? I can't see that. So the only way to protect Austin Strand would be to trade Sean Walker. Would you really trade Sean Walker? No, the guy's played five games, Strand. Right. So, but you can't trade Austin Strand either because there's just not a lot of trade value. He hasn't built up enough equity yet to be, huh? So what do you do? What trade value? Yeah. I think it's a very interesting story. And that's part of the reason why Austin Strand has still been hanging around and wasn't sent back to Ontario. The coaches and the management staff are very, very impressed with Austin Strand. He is further along the development curve than anybody expected. They took note of him in training camp and uh, they, they realized they sort of, they didn't have much of a choice. Um, I mean, they could have called up Sean Dursey maybe, but they didn't have much of a choice when, when Walker and Roy went down to try to insert him into the lineup, and he more than lived up to the expectations. And uh, Drew Doughty has talked him up. I mean, everybody seems to really like this guy. And I've mentioned it, Dennis, he brings a size element that nobody else has yeah. within that defensive group. So I'm just trying to wrap my mind Except around for one this. one thing, John. He, yeah, here's the thing, though, John. Like, it's not like what he's doing now. It's what he projects to. If he projects to a third-pair defenseman, why on earth are you de- protecting a third-pair defenseman? If you think top four, if you think Robin Regeer or something along those names, then okay, I, I could buy it right now. But to think that that's going to be the guy on the protected list, I, I guess it's like having Dick- Derek Forward on the protected list. I, I, don't, I don't really see because I don't project him to a top four guy. I would say, yeah, 13, 14 minutes, bottom pair, that's fine. Do you, is that what you really want to protect? Or you can't, could you replace Austin Strand if he was, Selected, I think you can. So, but it is—it's an interesting the, the debate that you bring up. Yeah, I, I again, just so that nobody walks away, let me paint it very clear. Uh, I do not very clear. I, very clear because people like to read between the lines and they get it wrong, Dennis. At this moment in time, I do believe that the three defensemen they protect will be Drew Doughty, Matt Roy, Sean Walker. What I'm suggesting is that the conversation or the debate that's going to take place internally over the next couple of months is much stronger than I expected or anticipated that it was in terms of the conversation of, hey, should we protect Austin Strand and find out a way, figure out a way how to do that? I I was a little bit, little bit surprised by that. So that's interesting. And and I think it makes for good conversation. So, well, here's, here's a little intrigue then, John, if you're going to do that and go, strand and protect strand mm-hmm. then you're making a you're making a trade for a significant defenseman that's what's happening there right because you could pray you trade walker and then after the expansion draft you got to fill that hole because short walker is one of the few play driving offensive defensemen to me that's an indication that something else is cooking behind this expansion draft 
Could be because they want to add offense on the left side. And if you can add offense on the left side, um, either in a first or second pairing defenseman, which we talked about earlier, right, that Anderson and, and Bjornfoot aren't going to give you that. If they can add some offense on the left side on one of the first two pairs, that does free up what they do on the third pair. So it, there's something there. And uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to see where that goes. Last little bit that I want to leave everybody with in the second period before we move on, DB, and that is from all indications, there does not seem to be an appetite among the LA Kings management team to do any sort of a side deal or offer a sweetener. And I reported that uh, at the time of the Vegas expansion draft um, that they were they were very content. Uh, Rob Blake specifically at the time was very content to just say, hey, you know what? Uh, we're going to play by the rules. We're going to put our uh, protection list together. We're going to expose the, you know, a certain group of players, and we're going to let the chips fall where they will. Uh, Vegas is going to take one player, and you know, we're we're sorry to see that player go. We thank him for his, you know, uh, service to the organization. But we're not going to double down, if you will, by giving up a second asset to make a side deal. Hey, if you trade this player, if you do this, blah blah blah. They weren't interested. They had no interest in doing that in the Vegas. Uh, expansion draft, and at least as of today, late February 2021, there's not an interest or an appetite uh, among the Kings management to do something like that, TB. Yeah, you know, intuitively, John, if we talk about the depth of the prospect pool, like any player you do lose, you should have somebody here already in the organization to replace that player. Like, it doesn't make any sense. That's why it makes it's absolutely zero sense to make a side deal because if we talk about day in, day out about the prospects, you're probably going to be able to fill a hole with a guy coming through the system. Yeah, I mean, you're right conceptually. There is something to be said for experience, and that's where the, the Kings are lacking is that a lot of their younger players that they're bringing in right now into the system, uh, they just don't have that pro experience, let alone NHL experience. So many of them don't even have enough pro experience at the AHL level, but we will have plenty of time to talk expansion draft between now and then, and DB, I will periodically uh, update the power rankings of of what we uh, what we anticipate the LA Kings to do, and so, so fans can look for that on Mayor's Manor. DB, let's take a quick break. We'll be back on the other side for the third period of Kings of the Podcast. To the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Welcome back, third period Kings of the Podcast. DB, the first period was great today, and the second period somehow we topped it in the second period. I think uh, absolutely we did, John. So what's up next? So in the third period here, look, I have some breaking news and some additional nuggets. Uh, man, my notebook is thick coming into the the episode today. Uh, but before we do, I do want to just uh, quick give a shout out to our, our friends over at Manscaped. They do an outstanding job of supporting the program. And so we do ask our listeners if you'll support them. So to everybody listening, let, let's be mindful of the fact that we're in the thick of winter and storms are out there all across the U.S. Uh, storms are brewing for sure. And uh, Manscaped, they're uh, our partners at Kings of the Podcast. They specialize in products to make 
sure that you're walking around town looking fresh and feeling fresh. So Manscaped is here to support you with the best tools for your grooming experience. As we've often said on the program, they have precision engineered tools for your family jewels. And uh, Dennis, one of our favorite products, the Lawnmower 3.0, it's, it's great for uh, personal hygiene for the modern man. It has that ceramic blade. It has the uh, advanced skin safe technology. It's waterproof. And uh, Dennis, I think it has another feature as well. It's got the trademark pending LED light. There you go. I can't. I can't wait for you to get that uh, frame. Pending. Yes, I can't wait for that uh, you to get that approved and uh, printed up on your on your man cave there on the wall next to your Kentucky Derby winning plaque. But the uh, the lawnmower 3.0. You also have the weed whacker for the ear and nose hair trimmer. You have uh, all sorts of different uh, boxers that are available, including the anti chafing boxers. Plus, you have the crop preserver, which is the deodorant. You have the crop reviver, which is the ball toner. You have all sorts of great stuff. Uh, a sort of winter wonderland of, of products that are available on Manscaped. So be sure to check that out. You'll get 20% off plus free shipping right now. Use the code K-O-T-P-N-E-W. Um, I think it's good for a couple more weeks here. So you go to manscaped.com. You get 20% off plus free shipping. Use our code K-O-T-P-N-E-W. So K-O-T-P new. They track all of that. And so they know that you're a friend of the program when you use it. Uh, go, so go to manscaped.com, use our code. And uh, we do thank the folks at Manscaped for making everything in the winter look and feel fresh and new. And uh, we appreciate all that they do to support the program, Dennis. Okay, so uh, look, we've had a couple of articles on mayorsmanor.com recently. Um, you know, we put up a couple, several articles every day. Uh, if you're interested in finding out more about Cal Peterson and his thoughts on having two number one goalies, you can read that article. Anze Kopitar was also there talking about Dustin Brown and his renaissance, which is fantastic, and leadership. Uh, but there was one thing I wanted to call attention to, Dennis, because you and I, although we talk, uh, you know, daily, we haven't had a chance to talk about this. I picked up on the Sean Walker Zoom the other day that he kind of doesn't want to talk about the injury and he wants to move on from it. And I only bring this up because it's different than the way Alec Martinez, I've mentioned this on a few radio programs. When I saw Walker's injury, it reminded me of Alec Martinez taking a puck to the face when he was playing in Finland during the 2012 lockout. And Martinez had to have plates put in his orbital bone or around his orbital bone. And it took about a year for him to sort of mentally you know, adjust. And Walker was really doing his best. And I was, I believed him. He seemed sincere. He was doing his best to say, Hey guys, look, I, I'm not thinking about it. Like I'm done talking about this. Uh, I put the cage on. It wasn't a big deal. I wore a cage in college. And, and when he said it sort of like the light bulb went off in my head and I was like, you know, that makes sense that if, if, if Martinez had to adjust any of his equipment or do anything differently, it probably wore on him mentally different than it did Sean Walker. Sean Walker, you know, once he was able to look in the mirror again and, and not see that horrific sight that he saw the first night, putting on the cage really wasn't that big of a deal. And after a practice, like he said, he's he's back to normal and, and right in the groove. Yeah, I think the questions are appropriate, John, before he steps on the ice to play his first game. Like with Matt Roy, when he came back from his concussion and played Minnesota the first game. But after that, and, and I get it, the first time he steps in front of a Zoom and you see the scars on his face, like, wow, this guy's a warrior. But like right now in the moment, I wouldn't be asking him about it. It's over. Like He got hurt. He's come back. It doesn't look, you know, basically his, he's got a ways to go before it heals. But why now? I would say the same thing. I was an athlete. I'm ready to play the games and not thinking about it. Nobody goes into thinking they're going to get hurt. So mm -hmm. I, I, I agree. I think up the first time around that he stepped back and talked to us, fine. But other than that, Let's move on and play the games. 
Okay, so moving on and playing the games, uh, quick college hockey notes uh, for LA Kings prospects. You have the University of Minnesota, which of course is where Brock Faber plays, had an outstanding tournament there at the World Juniors for Team USA. Uh, Minnesota is on a roll right now. They've been, they, although they were number one for a long time in the college hockey rankings, they're, they're sort of hanging around number four right now. And at number six is St. Cloud. And the reason I bring up St. Cloud is David Rennick was probably the star of the season, Dennis, on Kings of the Podcast. He was amazing. And uh, unfortunately for the karate kid, David Rennick, the goaltender at St. Cloud, he sort of has just run out of real estate. So he had a shutout the other night. He picked up, I believe it was his 60th win in school history. He's about six wins shy of the school record. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, with the last season uh, being shortened up and then with this season, um, you know, being well, shorter in the sense they played fewer games. Um, he's just really not going to be given an opportunity to go after that school record, which is unfortunate for him. Uh, but you'll have to keep an eye on St. Cloud. Big game coming up this weekend. They're playing uh, Mikey Anderson's team, as a matter of fact. Uh, Minnesota Duluth, that game is going to be on CBS Sports Network. So anybody who has DirecTV or, or cable can can watch CBS Sports Network. The game's going to be on Saturday. And uh, you can watch David Rennick in goal, I, I would assume. He is the number one goaltender for the Huskies, and they're trying to make their final push here because the playoffs in college hockey are set to begin in just a couple of weeks in, uh, in early March as everybody then has sort of the, the conference tournaments is the way that they do it leading into the Frozen Four, which will be played this year as well. So uh, you'll be seeing a lot of tweets or, you know, enough. You'll be seeing some tweets about college hockey on my uh, Twitter timeline. So that's, that's sort of what's going on with college hockey. Dennis, let's talk about the Ontario Reign. They have only won uh, a single game this year so far. They are, I believe, 1-6-1 and one in eight games. And uh, the fan base is starting to get a little bit restless, starting to see some, uh, I'm going to say, ridiculous Not comments. Not only the fan base, John. <laughs> What's that? Not only the fan base. Okay. Well, yeah, you're starting to see some ridiculous we comments. Nice okay, we did. We had a little moment there. But, uh, you know, Dennis, I mean, <laughs> come on. You need, you need to watch the games in order to have a – it would be the equivalent of you suggesting to Mark Yanetti who he should draft out of the OHL when you haven't watched the, 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 the player, the prospects, playing in the Ontario League. I mean, like, you have to watch some Ontario Reign games, I think, to, to have some concerns about what's going on. I'll give you the floor. If you could, if we were doing video, John, you'd see a picture of me biting my tongue right now. Okay. So please. All right. Well, let's just say this: uh, they are they they are uh, an extremely young team and an inexperienced team more than anything else. Because I've had these 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 jokers try to you know uh, so compare the average age of the roster to the average age of another roster. And guys, stop! Right. You're not paying attention. Look at the roster. More than half the forwards are first-year pros. So I'm not even talking about age. I'm talking about experience. These are kids that are not used to playing pro hockey, and they're being put into uh, extremely important roles. If, if it was all about winning, Brett Sutter would not be on the fourth line every night. He, he's been one of the most productive offensive players that the Ontario Reign have had over the last couple of years. He's a veteran in the league. He knows how to get it done. Why is he down on the fourth line? There's a very strategic reason why he's on the fourth line. It's so they can play Quentin Byfield as many minutes as possible. Quentin Byfield has no business playing on the top line in the American League with, with the, you know, less than 10 games of experience, just like you do in the NHL. When you bring a young player in to the AHL, which is like the NHL junior, it's a man's league, a men's league. When you bring players in, you bring them in 
with less responsibility and you allow them to work their way up the lineup. I wrote a big article about this before the season started, trying to explain to everybody that what was going to unfold, that Kaliev and Byfield, they were going to be given big opportunities prior to the OHL starting back up. So wanted to give you a couple of quick nuggets, Dennis. Number one on a roster front, uh, Jacob Ingham, the goaltender, uh, he was sent to the ECHL. This is, has nothing to do with their level of interest in Jacob Ingham. He still is the second highest ranked goaltender in terms of their depth chart. So Lucas Perique, uh is is the number one prospect on the goaltending side. They still love Jacob Ingham coming off of a great, successful OHL career, um, but they need to get him playing time. And when you have J.F. Berube and Matt Valalta in Ontario, then Ingham, you know, became the third goaltender. And in a, in a season where you're not playing enough games as it is, you need that young player playing games. And that's why he's in the ECHL. Uh, here's the big breaking news, though, of the moment, Dennis. I reported earlier today on mayorsmanor.com. Alex Turcott is expected to travel with the team this weekend and will play in the two-game series against San Jose. People were getting a little bit nervous because Turk, of course, was injured in yep. the World Juniors. He played through it. He missed all of training camp. He was available to debut with the Ontario Reign when the season opened up the first weekend in February. He played five games and then was injured again or re-aggravated his injury, but he was injured in the fifth game, which came on Valentine's Day. Uh, it was a Sunday. That Wednesday, he did try to give it a go at the morning skate, and they just said, you know what, you're not ready. So they shut him down, and he missed three games. He missed last Wednesday and then the weekend series, and then fortunately, the rain were off this week for five days. So by the time he goes back into the lineup on Saturday, DB, he will, he will have been uh, off for basically two weeks. But uh, from what I'm hearing from everybody, Turcotte is ready to go and will play this weekend. That's really good news. You know, John, um, with respect to prospects, I think the best question that we were asked on Twitter this week was, are we concerned that they picked the wrong guy at two? That was the best uh, question, Dennis? Yeah, that was the best from a from a comedic standpoint. Okay, I was going to say, <laughs> I was yeah. I was hoping that there was. I, I, this Are you is, worried about it, John? No, this was a truth. This is the honest truth. When you said the best question, I was quickly flipping through my brain and trying to remember all the and all I kept coming up with. Like my brain was just rapid fire giving me all the bad takes and all the bad tweets. And I was hoping that you actually had a good one because they were pretty horrible. Uh, and so yeah, that was guys. Yeah. We are years away, years away from having a conversation about who the Kings took at number two and was Byfield a mistake or not. And I'm going to tell you right now, there is not a single person in the LA Kings organization who is losing any sleep over Quentin Byfield at number two. That's why I keep linking the article. You, John? Huh? What? How could you? How could you lose sleep at this point? <laughs> so trying to, that's what I'm saying. That Dennis, this is why I keep retweeting the article, and I'm going to keep retweeting it over and over and over and over again. There's a big article. John, did they make a mistake? All the John, quotes, all the quotes from Mark Yanetti that explains how they went about selecting Byfield in, in the Byfield versus Stutzel or Stutzla conversation that they had for six months from the time the ping pong ball fell and they knew where, who they were taking or, or where they were drafting, excuse me. All those conversations leading up to, I think it was two weeks before the draft when they made their final decision. I wrote the article. I shared the information. It's all there. Guys, read it and you'll understand why they took Byfield. They didn't take Byfield to play in the NHL this year. They didn't even take Byfield to play in the NHL next year. So no one's worried about Quentin Byfield and what he's doing right now. They're developing him. That's what they're doing. They are developing Quentin Byfield. So back away from Twitter. 
and watch more games. It's available on AHL TV. I have more to get to, DB. More, more breaking news for you. The OHL is on the verge, hopefully, of starting back up. They were, they were thinking that they were going to return in March and that players were going to be due back uh, to begin their quarantine in early March. So, of course, I was sniffing around to find out, well, what's the plan? Because there are two players that the original plan was to put, most likely to put Byfield and Kaliev back in the Ontario League this year because they're not eligible to play in the AHL if the OHL is playing. I know it's very confusing for some fans. They're like, they, they don't understand. Well, why are they there now? They're, there was an, an exception that was made. They can play there now, but when the Ontario League is operating, those two players can only play in the NHL or the OHL. They can't play in the AHL. It's one of the reasons that the Kings scheduled so many preseason games for the rain. Again, I wrote an article about this, trying to explain it to everybody because they wanted to get Byfield and Kaliev playing as many games as possible before they had to make this decision. And so the, the fork in the road, Dennis, we can see it. It's coming. There's going to be a day sometime in the next couple of weeks when the OHL announces a return date and then the Kings are going to have to decide, do they send those two players back to the Ontario League or do they allow one or both of them to play in the NHL? And here's what I've been able to, to suss out from, uh, from our sources. Most likely, Arthur Kaliev will be returned to the OHL, which was the plan all along. With Byfield, what they're hoping for is they're hoping that this OHL decision is delayed until late March so that Byfield can hopefully get about 20 to 25 games of experience under his belt. And then if they like what they're seeing, then they're open to the idea of putting him on the NHL roster and not sending him back to the OHL. But they were very clear that the, the plan there would be not to burn a year off of the ELC. They would limit him to about six games. There are some other things they can do roster-wise and send him down to the AHL again for a conditioning assignment and whatnot, but I, we don't need to get into that. The, the bottom line is that at the fork in the road, uh, they'll have to make a decision about whether sending Byfield back to the OHL. So if you're curious about what their decision is going to be, then you need to be watching. I guess, Dennis, I'm talking to you and everybody else. You need to be watching Byfield here um, over the next couple of weeks because that decision on the OHL is coming is going to be coming up pretty quickly. Yeah. But here's the thing, John. Like, if he goes back to Sudbury, mm -hmm. that means – that he has to go across the border, stay in a hotel for three days, which I'm sure the Kings will pay for, mm -hmm. and then quarantine for 14. He'll have to quarantine again. That would be the third time this year he'd have to quarantine. You can't do that to this player to play 20-something games or whatever it's going to be in the OHL. I think that's absolutely the wrong move to make. You can, I think from an emotional standpoint, you want to put this kid in quarantine again? Yeah. Like he's, he, he did it twice. You're going to do it a third time. I think this one thing. Plus, if you look at the taxi squad, John, you see who's on the taxi squad right now. Well, but hold on. You can make it. No, no, no. But remember, remember, though, he can't taxi. He can't taxi. Oh, he can't taxi no, because right. taxi, taxi is the same thing Waiver, as AHL. AHL yeah, right. he can't go. To, he cannot yeah. be assigned to the AHL. So he would ha he would take up one of the 23 roster spots. But taxi does favor him. It is interesting that you bring that up. And where it favors him is that they can rotate guys. They have guys that they can stash on taxi, which they've been doing, right? They put them on taxi and then bring them up to right. the NHL roster. And right. so there are. Yep. it's going to be more complicated because they would only have 22 NHL roster spots to play with instead of 23 because right. Byfield would take that and be a, a healthy scratch most nights but if you want to see Quentin Byfield play NHL games this season a it would be no more than six uh, but B then you need to keep an eye on what he's doing uh, at, at the uh, at the AHL level and how he's developing and right now he's been playing on the top 
uh, top line. And I think it's important that you're going to get Alex Turcotte back because it takes a little bit of pressure off of him as well. But Robo hasn't really found the right line combinations yet. And that's not a criticism of him. It's just that he has, I think, eight or nine uh, first year forwards in his group. So, I mean, that's more than half of the 12 forwards. He's he's uh, suiting up every night. They're they're inexperienced. They haven't played together. They're playing in a, in, you know, in a professional men's league. It's a, ta- it's a challenge. It's tough. But he, the only chemistry that I've sort of seen so far um, I, 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 that sticks out to me is I thought there was some chemistry early on between Mikey Isimont and, uh, and Akil Thomas. And so uh, I put out some suggested pairings the other day about what I think we might see this weekend. And um, I, I do think that you would see Kaliev and Turcotte and Madden back together because they at least have some familiarity with each other and that perhaps, the, you know, it's not just the Team USA line, but they could, perhaps they can create some some chemistry and get something going. Um, but Kapari being called up to the Kings disrupted the chemistry that he had with Fagamo, but it didn't seem like there was a problem because Fagamo and, and Byfield seemed to click a little bit as well. So um, very, very interested to see how they play this weekend against San Jose. This is a team that they haven't seen yet. Uh, they did see them, I believe, in, in the preseason, but during the regular season, um, they've seen more of Vegas than they have anybody else. So it's two games this weekend against San Jose, and then next week they play the goals again, uh, which, of course, will be interesting because we'll have to see if Trevor Zegers uh, has been returned from Anaheim. So uh, what do you think about all that, DB? Uh, I won't ask you what happens if Byfield scored six points in six games in the NHL, so I'll leave that alone. So, But, yeah, it's... it's, it's well, well, wait, hold on. Go ahead and ask but, me. What, what, what are you talking about? If he scored six points in six games, would they would they go? He played in six games. If he scored, yeah, three and three, and now you can't play anymore. Not going to happen. He could. I. I. I mean, I. I think he could score in all six games, and I don't think that they're going to. I don't think that they would keep him. I just don't. I don't think. I don't think that's where they are. I think. I think they have a plan that they're very comfortable sticking to, and uh, they, when they deviate from their plan, like with the the Bjornfoot Clegg thing that we talked about before. Um, it, that really was a, one of them was going to win out and we're going to let these two guys sort of go into it. And one of them is going to win out the position. Uh, that's different. Uh, that the long-term plan with Byfield is still the long-term plan with Byfield. And yeah, I, I just don't, I, I'd be shocked. Hopefully it happens. And then we have another conversation. <laughs> DB, I'll be the first one to, uh, to start the conversation. If it does in fact happen, let's get the argument going and you can bring back the game show. We can do a, would you rather can, John, would, would you rather, <laughs> would you rather he plays a seventh game and burns a year off the ELC? I already know your answer to the question. So I'm, I don't even have to ask you, no. but you, yes, 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 yes. And yes. I wrote a column on that too. Fantastic. So, hey, just some uh, some shameless plugs here. So, for people that don't know, and shame if you don't, every Friday from two to three Pacific, I'm on the discussion room with Steve Coolis. Tomorrow, we're with Marty Baron, who's a great NHL analyst, and the hot stove, obviously. From if you get up early, not like John Hoven, if you get up early on Saturday mornings from eight to ten um, Pacific, uh, me, Dave Panyota, and Ryan Payton on Series XM Channel ninety one. Absolutely. So, DB. People can check out on Twitter. They can find out all the radio spots. They can get links to all the articles on the fourth period and on Mayor's Manor. We, of course, appreciate everybody listening to Kings of the Podcast. A fun episode, DB. We didn't even have time to uh, get into your Lake Tahoe stories. We'll have to save that for uh, a future episode. But glad to have you back in town and uh, look forward to doing it again soon. A little hint for you, DB. I believe we're going to have a former Minnesota uh, Wild player join us next week for a podcast. Fantastic, John. Can't wait. All right. We'll talk to everybody soon. Have a great weekend. 
With Metro by T-Mobile, your hard-earned money goes further. This tax season, there's zero fees to switch. Enjoy Metro's lowest price. Just 25 bucks a line for four lines. Plus, get four free Samsung Galaxy phones when you switch. Now that's the best deal in wireless. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. All lines lose promo rate if any deactivates. No fees on select phones. Limit one per line with eligible port. Excludes sales tax. Limited time offer. Additional terms apply. See MetroByTMobile.com.